Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. For Inside Carolina, I'm Taylor Vipolis, and you're either watching or listening to this podcast on the Inside Carolina Podcast Network. So first off, thank you for being here. And while you're here, be sure to leave a review and a five-star rating if you're on Apple Podcasts. Also, subscribe to the podcast or to the YouTube channel so you never miss a show or any of the content the team here puts out. All those actions take hardly any time, and it's something that helps us out a great deal here at IC. We've got a loaded show today with Mike Ingersoll and EJ Wilson coming up. But first, at Inside Carolina, we want to support people that support us. So that's why I've got to remind everybody about Johnny T-Shirt. They've got everything the Tar Heel fan could possibly want. They have the new retro jerseys in. They have the regular jerseys on sale, I saw. They have the Nike tees, the polos, the hats, the hoodies. You name it, Johnny T-Shirt has it. Not only do they have the best prices, they have the best customer service, and they're locally and alumni-owned, so you're helping out good people on Franklin Street. And don't forget, Inside Carolina premium subscribers save 10% off their orders. All right, guys, Carolina is coming off a win at Boston College, 26-22. to They moved to 2-0. and It was a lot closer than I think most people expected. So, Mike, starting with you, what were your biggest takeaways from this game? Uh, well, early on, we struggled uh, on the offensive line with some twist games. Uh, the Boston College did a really good job of getting pressure through essentially pretty basic twists. Um, so end tackle, ten, or, uh, end tackle, tackle, end twist, nothing really crazy. Um, and a lot of those twists came on the inside. Those are things that we struggled against with, uh, in, our, in our game against Syracuse. Um, Syracuse was able to get home with just some basic twist work. Maybe it's, uh, you know, they'll run a twist and they'll bring one extra blitzer. So really just a five-man rush. Nothing crazy. Um, nothing these guys haven't practiced before. Just things that because of the shuffling of bodies up front for our offensive line right now, I think it's just a comfort issue with some of the guys playing next to each other. So I saw that happen a lot in the first half, a lot of struggles um, with just basic twists in pass protection. But that in the second half, we actually improved that. We fixed that problem. And I think we, we extinguished maybe a potential issue moving forward because teams were going to continue to throw that stuff at us until our offensive line showed that they could stop it. Um, but that I think we put some of that stopping it uh, on, on film for the games moving forward. So that was, that was, that was a positive. Um, we also were able to uh, break some runs in the run game against what I think is a pretty stout front seven for Boston College. Um, so that was encouraging. I wanted to see how our run game was going to improve or maybe just stay on track from the Syracuse game given the 21-day layoff, which is basically uh, like Mac Brown told the media before the game, kind of like a little mini off season in the season there. Um, if, to me, as a player, and I'm sure to you and to EJ, it sounds like a nightmare to have three weeks off in between <laughs> games. Um, it's like starting all over. It's like playing game one all over again. Uh, I would never want to do that. Plus, you factor in the weird offseason they already had with no no real prep. Um, you know, that that, that just – it it made a re- it was a recipe for disaster, frankly, especially being the number 12 team in the country. Carolina doesn't have a history, particularly the teams I played on, uh, of, of really capitalizing on being ranked and moving itself up through the rankings. Um, this team, however, came out with a win. It was ugly, but a win is a win. So 
I think that we, we solved some problems um, in terms of getting hit with more twists moving forward from other teams. I think we put it on film that, that we figured that out and that the guys that we have in there and the guys that we're going to roll with on the offensive line, that they can handle that. So hopefully we extinguish that moving forward. Um, and I also like the way that we were able to run the ball against what I think is a pretty good front seven for Boston College. EJ, what about you? What were your biggest takeaways? Uh, my biggest takeaways are that we're a defense that's going to bend but not break. I mean, you, you saw a lot of times Boston College was able to move the ball pretty well, especially through the air. I think we did a, a great job of, of shutting down the run once again. Uh, we've proven that our, our defensive line is really going to be the strength of that defense with, with clogging up the middle and allowing our linebackers to run free, uh, which they did Saturday. What, what was discouraging to me was that it looks like we were getting caught out of position again, just like we were last game. Uh, I know we had a few weeks off, which which Mike just mentioned has been a nightmare, but it just kind of we, – we obviously showed our, our rust in our pass coverage. It's like – and a lot of times because we were getting uh, so much pressure and being so active in the quarterback's face, I think a lot of times we got caught watching. And um, for as a good of a day as, uh, as Trey Morrison had, I think he did struggle a lot uh, covering their tight end. As you see that he was their leading receiver. So it, it was kind of feast or famine with him. But, I mean, all in all, I, I, I do like the way that we played. I mean, we were in trouble a lot during that game. But as, as you can see, even at the end of the game with the two-point conversion that we took and converted when, when they were really threatening to potentially win this game, um, I mean, it's just resiliency, and that's something that we really haven't seen in this defense and this team over the last couple of years, which I think is an infusion of the coaching staff that we have there and kind of some of the Mac Brown effect and, of course, some of the coaches in the defensive room. That That's what really stood out to me. I mean, and, of course, uh, Ray Vasek, he is an absolute man out there. I mean, not only does he dominate the line of scrimmage, it's like he's around the ball at all times. I mean, if there's a good player or, or something got disrupted, you're usually going to see 51 somewhere around the ball. I mean, it, it was kind of uncanny that the way he was always popping up. So, I mean, just continuing to see impressive play from him, impressive play from the Fox brothers, and, of course, impressive play from Chess Red, our potential All-American. So, I mean, I, I'm starting to see our, uh, our pass rush and our blitz packages. They're definitely starting to come together more. But I, I, I do – want to see us improve in pass coverage because I think that if we're able to cover that tight end to, to not make his, to not blow as many coverages and, and play technique and, and read our keys, I think that this game's not as close as it is and we don't give up over 300 yards passing to a quarterback. I don't think we should have given up that many yards to. Yeah, that resilience. EJ, what was the nickname you and uh, – sorry, what was the nickname you and Joey Powell ultimately settled on for Vohasek? Vohavik. We're going with Vohavik. Definitely credit Joy with that one. That's an absolute great nickname. And I mean, I think it epitomizes his play style. <laughs> Vohavik, that is a great name. But <laughs> I love the point you made about the resiliency. Mac Brown hit on that in his press conference that he thinks that this was a game that this Carolina team loses last year. And you could definitely see that. And my biggest takeaway was that this looked like a team that hadn't played in three weeks. And that they do still have major areas of concern to address. And sometimes they say it's better to be lucky than good at times. And I think the ball bounced in Carolina's way. When you look at plays like the Sam Howell fumbled, where he tried to make something out of nothing through the ball, and somehow Javante Williams was able to recover it when it looked like there was a swarm of Boston College players going to the ball. Um, you have Boston College not being able to capitalize on scoring a pretty easy touchdown before the half one that their quarterback definitely wishes he had back today. And then you look at uh, the Sam Howell interception where nothing's working deep. He forces one to Javante Williams in double coverage. And 
a very ill-advised pass interference on Boston College to take away one of their turnovers. But Carolina, they're 2-0, and there are plenty of positives that we can talk about from this game. Mike, you hit on it, the run game behind two guys that look like NFL backs more and more every game. So in your opinion, what do you think it is about UNC's offensive line that they're doing to create such a good running game? Because now Michael Carter and Javante Williams, they rushed for 6.6 yards per carry. So obviously something is working there. Yeah, so you got two things working for you. You got schematically you have tempo working in your favor, right? So what Longo does a good job of is – once he, once he snaps off a first down, you know, called a 10-yard out, right, and he snaps off a first down, we're up on the ball and we're moving again on first down. Or if we break off an efficient run or something on first down, you know, as soon as we move the sticks, we're back on the ball, we're moving again. He, he understands how to, how to quick snap teams and keep tempo going um, so you have defenses on their heels. Um, and he throws that in. It's not an every play thing. It's not like the old Chip Kelly Oregon offense or, or sometimes even the Mike Leach offense down at um, – uh, Mississippi State now, the old Washington State and Texas Tech offense. It's not bang, 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 nonstop. Even Baylor, I guess you could say, uh, under under Bryles, right? It's not just nonstop tempo. It's strategic and uh, purposely placed tempo. Um, you know, the, Carolina runs a lot of plays, but they know when to get up to the ball and quick snap. And I think that helps the running game a lot. Um, so, you know, we got a defense on their heels. You just you get up to the ball and you snap off a five or six five or six yard efficient run. Maybe it's for a first down. Maybe it's for a big gain on first down to get you ahead of the, ahead of schedule on second down. So you got a, you know, second and medium or maybe even second and short going. Longo knows how to, how to get that moving um, and keep momentum going in a drive using um, again, strategic tempo. So I think he's got that working for him schematically. So that's a coaching thing, but what you have from the player's standpoint too, is you see a lot of learning. And one of the things that I want to bring up is um, early in the game, I think it was about the, oh, I guess we'll call it the, the nine-minute mark, maybe the nine-and-a-half-minute nine mark. Um, Brian Anderson pulls out on what is essentially a center trap of the defensive end. you got the right tackle and the right guard blocked down, and the center pulls out. Um, Brian Anderson was trapping the defensive end. Um, that's designed to – you can either keep your feet, go hat in hands, and try to drive the defensive end out, or really what the most effective thing to do is just cut that defensive end because those down blocks are designed to create a sieve. Um, now, the way that cut block should happen is you cut the inside leg of the defensive end. The reason why you do that is it forces the defensive end to spill outside of you, which naturally widens that running lane. Brian did a good job. We had a good down block of the right guard, good down block of the right tackle. Brian gets out, and he goes to cut that defensive end, and he gets him on the ground, but he cut the outside leg. So we're talking the, de- the, the it would be the, from, from our standpoint, the right defensive end, his left leg, his outside leg closest to the sideline. He cut that leg. That forced him to spill inside. So instead of widening the hole, he actually clogged up the hole. Um, and then that kid ended up making the tackle. So instead of what could have been, if you look at the film, probably a six or a seven-yard gain, it amounted to no gain. Maybe I think Javante might have got a yard. Well, later on in the game in the fourth quarter, we ran that exact same play. Um, to the same side, same two guys, right tackle, right guard, down block. Brian uh, pulls out to, to kick out that defensive end. And that defensive end, seeing what's coming, goes to spill the play, right? So he plays inside and he squeezes down. Well, Brian, being a smart player, pulled tight to those down blocks. And he was able to actually seal that defensive end inside. And Javon, or, uh, Michael Carter excuse me, was able to kick it outside. Um, and we got, a, we got a huge gain on it. And I think, I think the play ultimately came back. Um, but what you saw there was you saw – um, you saw you saw learning and our offensive line being able to adapt. So that's the other big thing I think you're seeing in a run game is that through multiple looks, 
right, guys are able to adapt and adjust either whether it's sideline adjustments or it's halftime adjustments. You're seeing them not making the same mistakes more than once throughout a game. And in the, in the running game, late in the game, when a defense is getting fatigued and you're able to lean on them and wear them down a little bit, understanding the mistakes you made earlier and not making them a second time, but in fact doing it perfectly like Brian did on this example, right? The second play he did perfectly. Um, he sealed that defensive end. He took what the defense gave him and it, and it ended up being a big, uh, a big gainer that again, I think came back for a penalty. Um, but when you, when you see that type of, um, I guess the football IQ, right. And that understanding adjustments and making adjustments on the fly, I think that is, that's something that's very encouraging. Number one, but number two, it has the benefit of, uh, improving the run game specifically because you see a lot of weird looks um, in the run game. And as long as you don't make the same mistake twice, you're not going to see that team do those things to you again. So I think it's another good thing we put on film um, that, you know, at this point, you're probably not going to see defensive ends try to squeeze that play when they see those down blocks come and they're going to try and play it outside. Brian, this week, I will assume, will have his opportunity to now cut that inside leg and widen that, widen that play naturally just because of what they see on film. That's interesting to hear, and I like the point you made that Carolina has to take what the defense is giving them because, to me, it honestly feels like you can't give Michael Carter and Javante Williams enough touches in this offense every time the ball's in their hand. Something positive is happening. And EJ, yeah. on the flip side of that, what is Carolina doing up front to win in the trenches? Because they made Boston College pretty one-dimensional, and Carolina's rush defense this year has allowed just 54 yards per game, which – wait for this, leads the NCAA. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think what they're doing is kind of to credit the guy we were just talking about, Mr. Vohavik. I mean, but no, uh, in all in all, I think as a defensive line group and as a defense and all, we're really doing a great job of controlling the line of scrimmage, of, of setting edges, of, of really creating a new line of scrimmage and knocking the offensive line back. And the way our, line, the way our linebackers are a, able to read and kind of dissect plays now, it's, it, it's getting very tough to run the ball against us. And now not only do we have people who are able to diagnose these plays, but we have some really great athletes out there. And I think a big part of stopping the run is, is all about how well do you swarm to the ball, how, how quick is your play recognition. And that's one thing that really stands out about our defense. You're always seeing defensive linemen around the ball chasing it down the field you're always seeing linebackers uh in the penetrating the, uh, the line of scrimmage so it's it's really hard to stop that and we're really playing disciplined football up front you're not seeing guys uh peeking their head in gaps where they're not supposed to be even when we're running our blitzes you're not seeing guys peeking or trying to make a play necessarily they're doing what their responsibility is within that certain pressure and you're seeing guys starting to make these plays so i mean that's that, that that's what's really stood out to me. And we I mean, you know, that stopping the run is, is really going to win a lot of games for you. But we're, we need to start to to convert some of that and, and actually start to play the pass a little bit better. That's the and I know we're, we're talking about the run right now, but I really it, it really I don't I don't think it's anything too complex that we're doing. I don't think there's anything scheme wise. It's really revolutionary. I think that we just have guys up there right now who are determined to to, to play disciplined football and who were hungry guys who kind of sat around and knew that what kind of that what type of defense they were on the verge of playing last year and are just improving. I mean, so I, I don't think it's really anything to break through uh, of what we're doing. We're playing disciplined, passionate, energetic football. 
What's up, y'all? This is four-time NBA champ Andre Iguodala. Yo, and this is his best friend, the Ohio State legend, Evan Marcel Turner I. Every Wednesday, we drop a new episode on our show, Point Four. We're talking basketball, business, and all the culture in between. From locker room stories to some basketball analysis from those who've been in the game. Now, it is a dude averaging 29 and 11. God, what it take to be an all-star? A win. Subscribe to Point Four, the podcast, so you don't miss a thing. Mike, I saw the look of shock on your face when you found out Carolina leads the country in rushing defense. So Carolina, 54 yards per game. Pittsburgh, number two at 57 and a half yards per game. Georgia, 58 yards. Army West Point, 66.8 yards. So Carolina, it's obviously a very small sample size with two games, but Carolina's in some pretty good company there. They'll be tested this week for sure against Virginia Tech, who is averaging 319 yards on the ground this season. The running back, Khalil Herbert, has 26 carries for 312 yards. For all of you that weren't math majors out there, that's 12 yards of carry. So something is going to have to give in this upcoming matchup. But, Mike, I want to get back to the offensive line who unfairly gets criticized at times when it's a running back's fault in pass protection. But I think there (laughs) is also a good amount of people who are waiting to see what this team can do with the healthy offensive line. And that'll come whenever Joshua Azudu returns. But I'm just wondering, in your opinion, how fair is it to put these expectations on Azudu, who has only started seven games? Well, uh, first off, I laughed when you brought that up about the backs because there was a couple of times against Boston College that, that Sam got hit, got pressured. Uh, that was absolutely the running back's fault, and I know they saw that on film. So I just want to go ahead and make that clear. You're right. Every time a quarterback gets hit, it's not necessarily the offensive line. And I, did, I thought we passed protected, especially in the second half. I thought our offensive line against Boston College passed protected very well. Um, in terms of the Zudu, I mean, it, expectations for offensive alignment are a funny thing the only thing that makes you better as an offensive lineman is reps right but there are some things you can't teach you can't teach size right you can't teach natural footwork um it's you you can try to teach pad level but you know guys are naturally flexible or they're not right um and the offensive line is three things it's really it's 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 number one it's pad level number two it's footwork and number three if you've got it Size will separate you from a lot of players. Um, you know, there, one thing that I learned um, that I had to deal with in my playing career is that there are a lot of six foot four, six foot five, three hundred pound offensive linemen. There's not a lot of six foot six, six foot seven, three hundred and twenty, three hundred thirty, three hundred forty pound offensive linemen. Those are the guys that go to Pro Bowls. Um, so you, know, you can't teach size, um, and you can't teach natural flexibility. Um, I think the expectations on Josh, um, you know, with him coming in now late in the season, um, coming into play, you know, there's going to be a learning curve here. So I, w- I would be very careful to expect him to come in and just immediately improve, the, improve this offensive line. You know, one thing we talk about a lot, and it's, it's, it sounds cliche, but it just frankly isn't for this one position group. Um, there is a chemistry with offensive linemen that are playing, you know, that when you've got five guys that are playing together, regardless of how talented they are, the comfort level between those five guys will ultimately make a huge difference. Once you plug someone new in, whether that's an old starter, whether that's a super talented guy, the guys that are playing on either side of him, they have to get comfortable playing next to him. Their play style is going to change slightly as they're working out the kinks with that new relationship. That's going to force the guy next to those guys. He's going to have to play a little differently to make up for the things that, they're, that, that those guys are trying to overcompensate for. And there's going to be a chain reaction throughout the offensive line. And it's going to take a game or two 
for that combination of linemen to really be comfortable together. So whereas Josh may not be making a ton of mistakes himself, again, we'll see this when the film comes out, but let's assume Josh isn't making a ton of mental errors, not a lot of missed assignments. Physically, he's holding his own. There may still be issues on the offensive line that are fairly or unfairly attributable to him simply by virtue of him being the new guy in. Because there's been now for two games, um, there's been one grouping of offensive linemen. And when he comes in, it is going to throw things a little bit until those guys work out the kinks with that new combination. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see, one, if he's healthy for this Virginia Tech game. And then, two, kind of like you mentioned, how quickly Carolina can get up to speed with him playing where it doesn't feel like they're uh, changing out a big part and they kind of have that continuity that you had mentioned. But EJ, the biggest thing on the defensive side of the ball was how UNC would look without Miles Wolfolk. You're replacing a leader like him. How do you think the secondary looked as a whole without a guy like Wolfolk, who Jay Bateman said he's the leader on our defense, he's an extension of the coaching staff on the defense? How do you think UNC looked without uh, Miles? I definitely think without Miles, I think uh, Trey did a great job of filling the leadership void. You can tell that um, he, he was he played very emotionally. He laid some big hits, a very impressive hit uh, on the tight end, which I thought the guy wasn't coming back in the game from. But, I mean, he's a tough kid, so um, my hat goes off to him. But I, I definitely thought that they, they played with passion, so the leadership was definitely there. Uh, what I didn't see was the execution, but that's that's something that, that's been happening all year. I don't think it was any worse uh, because Miles Wolfolk wasn't in there. Um, it just we, – we just kind of look unorganized out there, and I think we're, we're getting caught out of position and out of technique um, and, and not playing our technique a lot out there. But I think Trey had a great game, and I think his impact is going to be felt. I mean, we got more um, upperclassmen leadership and a secondary that's pretty young. So, um, overall, I mean, he, he stepped up really when we need him towards, towards the end of the game. And, I mean, even though I do think that the tight end kind of picked on him all day, when we needed him to step up and make a big play, he was there. And I mean, I mean, seven solo tackles, pass defended, of course, the big interception. Um, I, I think we look good. I think that with him there and with, with the type of player that he is, I do think that they're going to go and, and, and figure this thing out. I mean, th that was a big hit not having Miles for the rest of the season. So I think he's going to put that on his shoulder and kind of step up and, and prove that he's a player that the coaching, st coaching staff can trust. But, I mean, overall for everyone, I mean – Big game, again, like I said, but we need to get and figure out what's really going on. I mean, we, we have the run game, everything down packed. We're playing discipline there. I just don't understand why that discipline isn't transitioning uh, to our past defense. Yeah, replacing a guy like Wolfolk, it's not like Madden where you could just switch a guy in and then all of a sudden, you know, the defense is playing uh, just as well. But you mentioned Morrison, a couple of those hits, a couple of those hits across the middle make me glad that I will never put on pads and run in between the numbers ever again. And then, of course, he has the biggest play of the game where he intercepts uh, the two-point conversion and returns it all the way. And like you mentioned, EJ, the thing that I love about Morrison, and we've seen it from Chester at two, especially in that Duke game last year, when they're going to step up when the team needs them the most. And as a guy in that locker room, that's something that when you're trying to replace a leader like Miles Wolfolk, knowing that somebody is at their best when the game matters the most, you're going to be drawn to those guys as leaders more. So I think that's a big thing that for uh, this Carolina team to look for moving forward. And Mike, I mentioned earlier about areas of concern for this UNC team. How big of a concern is it for you, the lack of a deep ball from Carolina's offense last year? 
on throws 20-plus yards downfield. Howell threw for 1,300-plus yards, 21 touchdowns. This year, he's 0 for 8 with one interception. And that identity, which makes up a huge part of this Carolina offense, has just been completely missing. Yeah, so, I mean, it's, it's common knowledge, right? It's, it's intuitive that if, you've, that if you've got someone that can blow the lid off of a defense and you can stretch that defense vertically, it's going to make your life a whole lot easier in the short passing game and in the run game. Everything closer to the line of scrimmage is now going to stretch out as you stretch the field out. When you take that threat away, right, you're getting more stacked boxes. You're getting, you're getting a safety that will drop down into the box, um, which is going to make running the, game, or the running game a little bit more difficult. It makes the short passing game a little bit more difficult. Some of those slants and things to, you know, you think a guy like Bo Corrales makes his living on slants, right, and quick little outs. Well, that stuff gets taken away um, when you don't have an opportunity or really haven't shown the ability to blow the lid off of a defense deep. Um, now, the one thing that we – what we are seeing is we're seeing teams have adjusted to the magnificent freshman Sam Howell, right? Like they are taking a safety and they're leaving a single high safety. Boston College did this the whole game. They're leaving a single high safety and they're rotating him to where they think that um, that, that nine route, that go route, that streak, they th- they're, they're rotating him to where they think that deep ball is going to go, right? So your pogos, your standard posts, your nine routes, all that stuff's getting taken away. So basically everything from, you know, seven, eight, nine routes are all gone on when you've got the single high safety rotating over top and I know Vip you understand this being a receiver um, that is what these teams are doing right now to defend Sam Howell and what it does is it you know it shortens the field for them which is which is the strategy right that's the game plan let's go ahead and let's keep everything in front of us that makes their lives easier but it makes our lives much more difficult we're now fighting in a phone booth um, our route tree now gets truncated and it gets squeezed down um, our running game is made a little bit more difficult because you won't have as many free blockers because everyone's going to get eaten up. Um, if you've got a seven or eight man box, right, with that safety dropping down, you're just you're, you're always going to end up having to beat somebody. And most runs are designed to where there's one free runner. There's one guy that you have to beat in basically every run design because you've got, you've got a quarterback, right? You got five offensive linemen, and you got a running back. We don't really use fullbacks in football anymore. You know, Longo's offense never uses one. So you've typically always got against at least a seven-man box. You've always got one guy running free. Well, now if they drop that safety down because they don't respect the deep the deep ball, right? Or they've got a safety roving around in the rovering around, um, you know, in the deep middle. Um, or if they're very good at running like a Tampa two defense, right? And drop they got a super athletic middle linebacker and they can drop him deep and take away some of those deep balls. Well, now you've got two guys that you're having to beat in the run game, and that makes the run game much more difficult. You've got two guys unaccounted for um, in, in, the, in, the, um, in the blocking concept. So that's where your life gets made a, a lot more difficult. And, and Carolina is going to have issues, particularly against a team like Virginia Tech coming up. Um, if they're not able to early on establish that they're going to take shots and they're going to connect on some of those shots, um, if Virginia Tech isn't going to respect the deep ball game, we're going to have – we're going to have a long afternoon. It's not undoable. It's not unwinnable. Carolina is very talented across the board. Um, but it is going to make our, our day substantially more difficult. Yeah, this has been the biggest concern for me this year, Carolina, in the passing game. You'd think where they were, where they finished the year last year and right now, and it's night and day, like you mentioned, they're taking that deep ball away. And uh, mainly, I think it's on the receivers right now who have struggled to create any kind of separation on on those underneath routes and it's creating a lot of tight windows for Sam to throw into and it's causing him to hold on to the ball for way too long or it's causing him 
to force things that are just not there. And you look at a guy like Daz Newsom who came in on the Bolitnikoff preseason watch list, and he has three catches for just 31 yards through two games. So I think Carolina is going to have to figure out a way to get him more involved and get creative in the offense to get a guy like him more involved. And like you mentioned, when your receivers are struggling to create separation, probably the last team you want to play on your schedule is Virginia Tech with their long corners. I know Caleb Farley opted out for the season, but they still have long corners. They're going to get in your face. They're going to jam you and they're going to, they're going to make you respect them. And that's, that's an interesting matchup going into this Virginia Tech, uh, into this Virginia Tech game. Because like I said, when you're struggling as a receiver to create separation, the last thing you want is a receiver is a a cornerback press in your face. And, um, but going to the next question that I had, Mike, you are a big believer on this podcast that a team makes its biggest strides from week one to week two, but Carolina had 21 days in between week one and Saturday's game against Boston college. So do you think that adjustment now goes from week two to week three, and we'll see a bigger leap in the Virginia tech game? I think essentially you have to treat this like the season has just restarted. Um, you know, when you got a 21 day layoff, it's like everything just kind of goes out the window. So, you know, this from a conditioning standpoint, from an adrenaline standpoint, I'm sure these guys got fatigued around middle of the second quarter, like you would normally in, in a week one situation. Um, and, and you're going to see a, a similar type of developmental jump now from week two to week three that you'd see from week one to week two. Um, uh, in large part, because Boston college threw a lot of stuff at Carolina, they saw a lot. And you're about to go play another intricate defense in Virginia Tech. But the good news is is that we saw a Boston College team um, with a rising and -and up-and-coming defensive coordinator um, who schematically I thought had a a brilliant game plan against Sam Howell and against our offensive line. Um, You're going to – it was good to be exposed to that early. Come away with a win, whether it's pretty or ugly, it doesn't matter. We came out of it with a win unscathed from a standpoint. but you now have the added, the, the added benefit of you've seen some stuff. They threw some exotic looks at you. They threw some exotic blitz packages at you. Um, you know, I saw a couple of Mike Wills, you know, double A gaps with a single safety coming down. That's an old, that's an LSU blitz. I mean, we saw that when I played John, that was, that's, a, that's a big time John Tenuta um, blitz package, right? Um, that's difficult to, to, to block against. And you're going to see, you're going to probably see that again from Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech loves to do that too. Um, you know, that, 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 that double A gap plus one coming down the middle. Um, Bud Foster used to run that against us too. Um, so Carolina will likely see that, but the good news is they've already seen it once. It shouldn't catch them by surprise. Um, so you will likely see a developmental jump um, again, because now they've, they've seen some extra stuff early in the season. They got exposed to some stuff. And I think that that, that big jump will happen. Hopefully this week um, players have more confidence. You came out of last week with a win. Again, you're playing a very strong front seven. Um, I think it was a good test for Carolina, a good warm-up for this Virginia Tech matchup, which the way it's looking, it's, it's going to most likely come down to Virginia Tech, us, and Miami for the Coastal Division. Um, if you're able to knock out Virginia Tech early, you know, that, that leaves one other team on our schedule to really have your eyes towards, you know, understanding that every single game matters. A quick note on that, there is no divisions this year. Oh, that's true. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, it's, yeah so, that's right. It's just records. Yeah. Yeah. So Notre Dame could be in the in that factor for the two seed, but like you mentioned, this is still a game with huge implications. And EJ, you could start us for this question. Carolina is coming in ranked eighth in the AP poll right now. 
Um, they're going to be getting everybody's best shot, starting with the Hokies on Saturday. How do you handle playing with that target on your back, especially against a team like Virginia Tech, who seemingly has Carolina's number? And no matter the talent on that Virginia Tech team, this is a game that they're always going to get up for because they understand the implications this game always has for the season. So, kind of, how do you handle um, being the hunted now? That's a that, that's a tough one for me because I mean we're honestly right now in a position, even though with the uniqueness of this season, uh, ranking wise, we're in a position I don't think that we've ever been in as a program. I think the highest that I remember us being ranked was number. 10 uh, during Mac Brown's last tenure, and that was during the Peach Bowl season um, when we had Julius Peppers and probably the most talented team of all time at UNC. So I think that we need to go about it uh, the same way that we've been going about this season in the beginning. I mean, you see the post about last year that we, they were fighting for a bowl game and they were fighting for wins and fighting for respect I think you still need to have that same attitude you still need to fight for your respect I mean because I mean they're still I've had conversations with fans and other people that have said that yeah you guys are ranked this and that but look at this season it's truncated such and such leagues haven't been playing um so I mean I still think that there's still a lot for us to prove I mean we still have to go out we have to win these games I mean we haven't really played a, a very high level of competition uh yet in the season so um so I'm being corrected. I guess we were number uh, number eight um, a few years ago, but I still think this this is a little bit different situation because of the, the way the season is set up. But I think that they, they still have to have that same attitude. You have to have that underdog attitude going into every game. I mean, we haven't played a team as good as Virginia Tech this season, and and I think our our, our schedule is just getting going to get harder and harder as we get deeper and deeper into this ACC play. So we can't have the attitude of, of life's great. We're number eight. We're finally getting our recognition. Are we going to go out there and execute now? Are we going to keep climbing in those rankings? Are we going to actually play up to the potential that the people in the media who voted us to be the number eight team in the country, are we going to fulfill up to those expectations? Or are we, or are we going to do what we've done historically probably as a program and kind of shudder under the lights once we're, we're finally getting that respect and recognition? Are we going to kind of play down? Are we going to get, are we going to get caught uh, run up on by a team that we should beat? I mean, like this game Saturday was really close. Boston College, yeah, they were undefeated coming to the game, but I do think that we're a more talented team than them. But we just have to step it up, still keep that underdog attitude and play with hunger, and I think they'll be fine. I mean, luckily, a lot of these guys on this team are, are young, so they haven't had the opportunity to really be jaded because they're still trying to go out and prove themselves now. At, uh, nationally and to the coaching staff uh, to continue to play because with the way that we recruit, I mean, there's always the next guy up. So that's that's one of the, the good things about the atmosphere of this team. It's always the next guy up mentality at some positions where we have that luxury. So as long as we keep we, we keep playing hard, we keep playing with that attitude and, and keep that underdog mentality, I don't think that there'll be a, um, I don't think that there'll be any letdown, but th this is the position that you want to be in. Uh, Coach Davis, a quote he always used to say to us, you always want to play when the blip is in the sky, which means it's a nationally televised game. So this is this is the situation you want to be in. Let's go out and handle business. Mike, what about you? How do you think Carolina handles playing with this target on their back now? Well, I mean, I, I should go ahead and preface it with this, and, and I guess maybe I'm the eternal pessimist um, on, on the IC crew here. Uh, my preseason predictions are never that great. Um, in terms of you know positive outlook, um, I think Carolina is a little overrated right now. I think they're the beneficiary of a weird ranking system with no Big Ten. Um, so you had you know you had no Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, those uh, those traditional Big Ten powers. You didn't have them 
in the AP top 25 in the preseason. So we came in rated a little bit higher than I think we should have been. You don't have the benefit of the Pac-12, you know, the, the two or three teams um, out of the Pac-12 that would be preseason ranked. Um, so, you know, Carolina was already a little bit higher than I think they probably should have been starting off the season. Um, and at this point, I think they're still, you know, benefiting from the fact that you, you don't have any teams ranked um, from the Pac-12. And you've had a pretty crazy year in terms of teams that, you know, like Oklahoma, for example, um, you know, losing two straight, a team that under normal circumstances I don't think would, would have lost two straight at this point in the season. They certainly will have lost the way that they have and to who they've lost to. So I think you'd still have an Oklahoma that's ranked fairly high, and that would just naturally push Carolina down the list. That being said, I think Carolina is absolutely a top 20 football team. Um, I think where we should – I think our natural place right now is probably number 15 or 16. If you had, if you had the entire – country ranked and things were normal I think Carolina would still be a number 15 or 16 team um, you know which coming in against Virginia Tech would still rank you higher than Tech um, but you know the, the one thing EJ brought up is that historically Carolina hasn't done so well when we've had that target on our back when we've had that blimp in the sky we ha- haven't performed uh, up to expectations um, I mentioned it earlier that you know Carolina once we you know many of the teams that I played on once we got the ranking we very quickly lost that ranking um, I, we often found ourselves ranked at number 17 which for whatever reason, was was that place in the rankings where if you lost one game at number 17, it was justified for the AP to just drop you all the way out of the rankings and nobody really questioned it. So we always seem to find ourselves around, you know, number 21 or number 17. And if we lost one, we were out pretty easily and it was justified. Um, I think Carolina, you know, if, if in order to handle this pressure, they're going to have to do exactly what we talked about in your last segment. They're going to have to stretch the field offensively, and they're going to have to make Virginia Tech respect that deep ball. In order to do that, Diami Brown's got to get open. Um, because what one, one person you brought up that, that I really am glad we're talking about now is, is Daz Newsom. He's essentially disappeared. And it's not for lack of trying. It's not because Daz isn't out there trying to play. It's not because he's not out there trying to catch balls. Um, but Daz was always the beneficiary of having that um, you know, having that deep threat in Deami Brown, right, to stretch the to stretch defenses, and then Daz was always that underneath guy or that you know that 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 mid level middle of the field receiver. That's where he shined. Um, Bo Corrales is another one. Bo is that you know he's he's that short little um, that short little X wheel up the sideline, right, or a slant, right. He an underneath guy. Bo was always the beneficiary of that, and he's a yards after catch kind of guy. Um, you know, uh, fades in the end zone and the red zone kind of deal. Both of those guys have essentially been non-existent, and I think a big part of it is that De'Ami Brown is just being taken out of the game plan by, and so far, the two defensive coordinators that we've, that we've played. Um, they've had that safety kind of floating over the top, um, that single high safety, or even in a Tampa 2. They've had De'Ami essentially double-teamed, um, so you can't, it's difficult to throw to him because he's always in double coverage. When you don't have that threat for the long ball, it makes things more difficult. So if, if Carolina is going to play well in this game and they're going to play up the expectations and we're going to see the offense that, um, you know, has, has been so highly touted, understandably so and justifiably so based on last year's production, um, if we're going to see that offense and we're going to see this team succeed, really it comes down to one thing, and that's do we have a deep threat? Because that's going to make the running game better. It's going to make the short passing game better. And that's going to allow us to strategically tempo tech um, and hopefully do the things that, that we're good at. But it's all going to – it's essentially going to start and end with De'Ami Brown's ability to get open over the top. Speaking on the ranking, I had mentioned that I thought this past Boston College game was an uninspiring win. And I think I'm looking at it from the perspective that 
if you tell me the Syracuse game and the Boston College game, those were wins from a team that's going to go seven and six, fine, you take those. But if you're telling me that this is supposed to be a top 10 team that's seriously contending in the ACC, Carolina is going to have to put together complete games, put together some convincing games, and hopefully uh, for this Tar Heel team that starts on Saturday against Virginia Tech, you have number eight North Carolina versus number 19 Virginia Tech. Somebody is staying perfect in the conference. What a game this is going to be in Chapel Hill. Looking forward to breaking it down with you guys next week already. Yeah, sounds good. I'm looking forward to it too, but oh, definitely. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase.